So if I were to ask you, what is the key to spiritual maturity? What would you say? How would you answer that question? Of course, the question assumes that there is one. And since I said key, what is the key? I did not say what are the keys. But how would you answer that question? What is essential in spiritual growth? What is spiritual growth? How, uh, well, are you uh, in some way bigger, spiritually bigger than you used to be? Or maybe it's not a question of size. Maybe it's a question of development. Are you more developed spiritually than you were, say, a few months ago? or when you first came to Christ. What does it mean to be spiritually mature? What are the terms of spiritual growth? Is it something you can measure? Like, could you even answer the question, are you more mature than you were a year ago, spiritually mature than you were a year ago, and point to something that would prove it? And if so, what would you point to? But my main question is, what is the key? What is the thing necessary for spiritual maturity? The text we've been looking at now for several weeks in Ephesians chapter 4, and we've camped out on this text for a very good reason, and that is because I think this text is something like the point of the book of Ephesians. Well, or it's the main application of the point of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is... God has saved us by His grace, if that's the point. That was in chapter 2. That we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That might be the point. Saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that really means not of our works, because it certainly did take a lot of work But we are not saved by our works. We're saved by the works of Jesus. We are not acceptable to God because of any righteousness of our own, but because the very righteous life of Jesus Christ has been credited to us by faith. Well, by God in response to faith. And you're not, it's not like a, 
like faith is a work. Like God appreciates you believing in Him, so He gives you salvation. That's not it. You're not saved by your faith. You're saved by the sacrifice of Christ, by the work of Christ, by the righteous life, death, resurrection, ascension, intercession of Christ. And you receive that gift by faith, which simply means you receive that gift. You say, yes, I'll have that. Thank you. Well, if that's the point of the book of Ephesians, which concludes with, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we come to the middle of chapter 4 where we've been camping out for a while, we see the specific application of that statement. So let me read it to you again, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work. Oh, there's our word, the work. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we should, that he prepared in advance for us to walk in them. Okay, so he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. Saints is all the believers, all the Christians, all those claimed by God in Christ to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, till we all attain to mature manhood, or literally it says to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So now we know which man he's talking about. Christ. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, a minute ago, I asked you, what's the key to spiritual maturity? And I don't know if you imagined any particular answer in your mind. But here we have a text that is specifically about the very nature of spiritual maturity until we all come to maturity, a mature man. And I want to ask you, was whatever you were thinking of, did you hear it while I was reading that text? Because we have a lot of ideas about what the keys to spiritual maturity might be. This text declares 
what the key to spiritual maturity is. So as we're going through this text, I want to see, I want you to be listening. What's the key? What's the key? So let's go back to the beginning. Well, to the middle, really. Where we say, where it says, consequently, or as a result, we are to be no longer children. So it says, we, certain people in the body of Christ are given to equip everyone else in the body of Christ so that those, so everyone in the body of Christ is equipped to do some work of service in the body of Christ. For what purpose? For the edification of the body of Christ. Hmm. You know, I usually think I'm the one who's supposed to grow. This text says my growth is for our growth. Curious. Now, I've said this several times already and we, as we've gone through this text. The, the book of Ephesians shows us that there's only one Christian. And I hope you're saying, wait a second, I'm a Christian and you're a Christian. There's at least two. What is the Christian that the text here has in mind? It is the body of Christ. And what this text teaches us is that each Christian is only a part of the Christian. And the Christian that represents Christ in the world is the whole of us, all of us, his one workmanship. That text in chapter 2 didn't say, for you are his workmanship and you are his other workmanship. It does not say that. It says we, plural, are his workmanship, singular. There's only one work in that text, and that text is us together, not me and you. Of course, he's working on me and you, but that has a purpose, which is he's working on us. Okay, so he says, since all this stuff is true, and, you know, these guys are equipping the rest of us to do works of service for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to what? The unity of the faith. That's why we read that prayer of Jesus. What does Jesus pray? That each of his disciples will be a great representation of himself? No, that is not what he prayed. Why not? Because there's something bigger. Does he want each of his disciples to be a great representation of himself? Sure. But here's something. 
not any individual disciple can be a full representation of himself. And so what he prays is that we would be, what? One. Like he's one with the Father. So that we, together, represent the rich fellowship of the three persons of the eternal God. Good heavens. That is amazing. And that is so much bigger then I'm a good Christian and you're a good Christian and each one of us is we're working on it. We're getting better and better each day. And, you know, I'm supposed to represent Christ myself wherever I go. But that's not the New Testament vision of the representation of Christ in the world. The New Testament vision of the representation of Christ in the world is the church, the body of Christ. And we live in an individualistic world, and so our mindset doesn't naturally gravitate to this concept. I want it to be about me. What can I do? What, who, who am I? When it's really about us. Well, so, consequently, we ought not to remain as children. In other words, as a result, we will... Each of us not be a child. Tossed to and fro, carried about. Now the text of this sentence, it says, so that we may no longer be children. And this, this is a technical, grammatical point here, but this is in what we call the subjunctive mood, like it could happen we would no longer be children. It might happen. It may, you hear that, so that we may no longer be children. And sometimes this, this particular structure indicates what ought to be. And of course, we ought not to remain children tossed to and fro. So there's an opportunity presented here and here, our individual Christian growth is pictured. We would not be children, plural. So, I'm not going to be a child and neither are you. Tossed around, afraid. What are we tossed around by if we remain as children? Every wind of doctrine... By every wind of doctrine, man, doctrine blows every which way all the time. What you will find as we grow together is you become doctrinally stable. Your understanding of who you are and who you are in Christ and what that really means and how you are related to Christ and to the people of God and to the world, your own doctrinal identity will become steady. So that when someone comes along and tries to teach you something that's off, 
you'll recognize it, and you will not be blown that way. Even if the person presenting that is very attractive and quite persuasive, which normally they are, because the devil knows what he's up to. So you won't be blown around by every wind of doctrine, and you won't be blown around by human cunning or by craftiness in deceitful schemes. This is how bad doctrine works. It tries to sound a lot like good doctrine. And doctrine means teaching. Hmm. So one of the ways you're going to grow is in your understanding of sound Christian teaching. Biblical truth. And as you grow in your understanding of biblical truth, you become less deceivable. That'd be good. So we ought not to remain as children as a result of growing together. Oh, as a result of growing together. You see, one of the keys here is it's together. Here's something I've noticed. Nobody knows everything. Nobody is 100% properly versed on biblical doctrine. I went to hard schooling for many years to get as versed in biblical doctrine as I can be, and there's a lot of room for development still in my understanding. I assume that's true of you as well, that you don't have a complete understanding that somebody could ask you a question and your only honest answer would be, wow, I don't know. What's the key? Well, there's a second, we'll come back to that. There's a second thing. It says, instead of remaining as children, we ought to grow up. We ought to grow up how? Well, here's what it says. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We ought to grow up. How? Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Now, is this telling me that if I sit in my room by myself and speak the truth, that I'll grow up? I don't believe so. I think it's a good idea to tell yourself the truth. Whenever you're speaking to yourself, you should be truthful if you can be. But what if I don't know? What if I need some truth that I'm not already aware of or that I've forgotten or that I'm losing my perspective on? <clears throat> you see, all of this happens in the context of the fellowship of the body of Christ. Speaking the truth in love is about how I speak to you and how you speak to me and how we all speak to one another. 
Speaking the truth, you know that text, speaking the truth, it doesn't really have the phrase speaking, the word speaking in it. It really says being truthful. (laughs) Being truthful or being true. I think this means being open and honest about anything and everything. It means making my actual self actually available to you. What do I really think? What are my real feelings? What do I need? What do I have to provide? And of course, all of this in the book of Ephesians, when we talk about the truth, must be in the context of the gospel of Jesus. The truth, the the capital T, truth, that is in Christ Himself personified. So I am open and honest in the light of the truth. I am utterly willing to share myself with you in whatever way is useful or necessary in the light of the big truth, the gospel. And so the community of Christ becomes the honest place in the world. Speaking the truth. We're unwrapping the ingrown soul that hides and shelters and needs to provide its own sense of stupid safety. And so becomes alienated and isolated from everyone, which is the same as being dead. And we take shelter in the deadness of our self-centeredness because we, need, we can't be true. But because of Christ, being true is safe. If I am safe in Christ, I can be honest with you about who I am in any way I can find that will be useful or helpful to you, to love you as I have been loved. Speaking the truth. It's being available to be really known, what we sometimes call transparency. Scary, huh? Scary, really. To be really open. And that is why we don't just speak the truth, we speak the truth in love. In love. Love, perfect love, casts out fear. Are you afraid? How are you going to deal with that? There's only one way to really effectively 
deal with our fear, and that is to know God in Christ as Abba. To know that when the devil is messing with me, I only need the one little word, Abba. And I am utterly secure, even if I don't feel like it. It's true, even when I don't feel like it. And so when we speak the truth in love, that means we're living in the love of God in Christ, and we can therefore operate sacrificially for one another's benefit, joyful service. It's knowing and sharing the love of Christ. That was chapter 3, right? I'm praying for you that the Spirit would somehow give you the strength to trust in Christ and to know His love, to really start to get it, this incomprehensible love with which we have been loved in Christ. Oh, my goodness, to really get that and to share that. You see, this is about relationships. This is about the fellowship of the body where we find honesty and acceptance. Now, (laughs) I want to yell at you a little bit about this. This means when someone's honest or even when someone's hiding has just been ripped off of them, It is very important that we communicate acceptance. When someone's sin is exposed, how do we deal with that? (laughs) Told you. No. There but for the grace of God go I. And so we say, praise God for the exposure of sin which Jesus died for. Welcome, brother, to the fellowship of sinners in the grace of God. Speaking the truth in love. We're not going to say it's not a sin but we aren't going to say we reject you because you're a sinner because then I'm rejected and all of us are rejected. And Christ did not say I reject you because you're a sinner. He said I love you anyway. And we address God as Abba, Father, and so does He. And so... It's about honesty and acceptance somehow combined. It is a miracle if we can exhibit this grace. It is the work of the Spirit when we exhibit this grace. And we need to remember that we're all sort of recovering from some kind of spiritual PTSD, some sort of trauma We were dead in our trespasses and sins. 
some of us have been traumatized by the church. Oh, Oh, what a horrible thing. Some of us have been traumatized by the church, and it is going to take a while. It is going to take some time living in honest acceptance for that person to really get safe so that they, too, can be honest. And we, together, have this opportunity. And it is the best of all opportunities to be able to tell each other, you're not alone. You are not by yourself. It is not just between you and God. We love you. And we love you even after we know you. You will not scare us out of your life by your horribleness. Because we're horrible too, except for Christ. And it takes us a while to live in the safe place provided by the body of Christ. Do you see how utterly, desperately we all need to be part of the safe place. To belong to the safe place where there is honest acceptance. We're not going to just ignore the fact that you have a problem, but we're not going to reject you because of your problems. So, how do we grow up? Speaking the truth in love. We preach the gospel. (laughs) We trust the gospel. We say, hey, sinner, Jesus, praise Him. Now, I want to stop here and notice something very, very important. You cannot do any of this by yourself. None of it. It is entirely necessary for it to be the body that grows together. You cannot provide your own safe space. And of course, if we are going to be the safe space, that's something we have to do. That's something the Lord does in the life of the body. So, here's something I want to point out to you now about what was your answer to the question, what's the key to spiritual maturity? And if your answer was anything you do by yourself, it was not a complete answer. So, for example, 
get up early every morning and go by yourself and read your Bible is not a complete answer to this question. Would that be a smart and wise thing to do? Yes, probably so. You can't have too much of the Word of God. But that is no substitute for the fellowshipping, loving, accepting ministry of the body of Christ. Where someone else tells you the Word of God, the truth. Okay, so speaking the truth in love, we grow. We grow into what? In every way into Him who is the head, Christ. We grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ. We grow in trusting fellowship with God in Christ by the Spirit. The terms in this text were the unity of the faith, the unity of the faith, and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. (laughs) Unity does not mean alone. We grow in a trusting fellowship. We grow into a trusting fellowship with God and with each other. Secure in our justification before God. Secure. If God has justified you, you are 100% absolutely for all eternity secure. He did not save you to lose you. In fact, he says just exactly that. No one ever escapes the grasp of God. Secure in our justification before God. But I think it's an even bigger deal that being justified, we also are reconciled. Like it says in Romans chapter 5, having been justified freely by faith, we have peace with God. Have, not can get. Have. Peace with God. So God is no longer our judging enemy, but our Father friend. God Almighty. The Scripture in that text in Romans 5 uses the word into this access in which we stand. This grace in which we stand. That means I am given, not might get, but have been given absolute, minute-by-minute access to the very presence of the living God Almighty. We read about that in Hebrews too, right? We come boldly before the throne of grace with any little thing we need. And we do not find judgment, we find mercy. We are secure, open access to the throne of grace. And so, because we're secure, we're confident. 
What would make you a bold Christian? Really recognizing your security. Now you have it, whether you recognize it or not. But how will you grow? You will grow in your real acceptance, trust in, confidence in the work of God on your behalf, not your work on His behalf. Has God determined to have you? Well, if you've trusted in Christ, the answer to that question is yes. God has determined it, and He determined it before you trusted in Him. We only find out because you trusted Him. And so, yes, He has determined to have you. I think He's going to follow through on His commitment. You are absolutely safe, and therefore you can be confident in life. Here's here's how confident you can be. You could go out and really screw up. And in the end, you won't have screwed up a single thing. In all the ways that ultimately matter, you will be fine. You can't sin your way out of the grace of God. Now, sinning is the stupidest possible thing you could ever think of, but He's got you. Period. And you are so safe, you can be confident, and therefore, you can act boldly. You can say, this looks right, I'm doing this. And then you might learn otherwise. (laughs) And he's got the whole thing all the time. You really can't mess it up. And you can be bold in your fellowship with other people, in your communication of the love of Christ. You can be bold because you're so well-loved. Not because you're good at it. You're probably not. Most of us aren't. Most of us aren't because we try to be bold while forgetting our security. I like this expression, you should talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. So, what is the key? What is the key? You might have figured it out by now if we're reading Ephesians chapter 4. What is the key? Here it is. Experience and express the love of God in Christ by the Spirit. Experience and express the love of God in Christ by the Spirit. In the fellowship of the body of Christ. Can you experience the love of God in Christ apart from the body of Christ? Mm, Yeah. But what is the point? The point is how we experience it, not how each one of us experiences it. 
And so we are called to do this together, speaking the truth in love, becoming the honest and accepting place. And so we experience and express the love of God in Christ by the Spirit in the fellowship of the body of Christ. And then I want to say in a fellowship of the body of Christ, because this is about real people assembling in real places and seeing one another face to face and talking and conversing with one another and hugging each other and shaking hands and smiling and talking and teaching and learning and encouraging all things best done in person. And so you've got to, to be a part of the body of Christ, you really got to be a part of a body of Christ because that's where it happens. The invisible church is something that happens in the visible church. So we recognize and celebrate Christ's gift of each member. <laughs> you remember when we said this? It's not just that God has given you a gift. God has given you as a gift to the rest of us. You are the gift. And we recognize and celebrate that. What a joy it has been to get some of those little surveys back. Yeah, I'll help out. By the way, you can fill out that survey on the Internet now if that's more convenient for you. The Scripture says, from whom? From Him. We recognize and we celebrate the comprehensive provision of Christ. And we recognize it by the Spirit. And we recognize His provision of every necessary resource in our fellowship through the proper working of each part. We equip the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body, until we all attain together, because there's no such thing as unity that's not together. We all attain together the unity of the faith, the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. We know Christ together. You can benefit from how I know Christ, and I can benefit from how you know Christ, from hearing your experience of the love of Christ, where you've experienced that love in a way I haven't. Until we attain to a mature man to the fullness of Christ. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed that the book of Ephesians calls the church the fullness of God in Christ. Wow. The fullness of Christ experienced and enjoyed together in the community of Christ. That's the key to spiritual maturity. The key to spiritual maturity is the fullness of Christ experienced and enjoyed together in the community of Christ. Now, I'm not telling you you shouldn't have a quiet time when you sit down and read the Scriptures, but I am telling you this, if that's the, ex 
extent of your spiritual development, you are not going to be very well developed. And you're going to be depriving the rest of us of something we need. So, yes, you should sit down and read the Word. Here's what's happened to me any number of times. I sit down and read the Word, and I get something out of it. And then a few weeks later, I find out that what I got out of it isn't actually in there because I misunderstood what I was reading. We need each other to work together on the project of understanding, teaching the truth in love. So the fullness of Christ experienced and enjoyed together in the community of Christ. That is the key. We come to the table. (laughs) We come to receive and give thanks. To receive, not to bring. To enjoy together. Isn't it weird that this is something the church does? Jesus didn't set this up so you do this by yourself at your house. No, we come together and the church administers the Lord's table. Together, we come together and we say, thank You, Father, for the amazing goodness You have demonstrated to us, saving us by the sacrifice of Christ. Wow. So let us enjoy and celebrate His love as we receive these things together. Father, we give You thanks. Lord, we can't quite imagine just how good You are. Lord, I just want to thank You for the way You are working in the hearts and the minds and the lives of the people of this fellowship. Because You are working. You are drawing us together. You are leading us in joyful service. And Lord, it all comes from the cross of Christ. From this amazing demonstration of love and sacrifice. This atoning death. And the resurrection that follows. We give You thanks. In Jesus' name, Amen.